0: Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today and uh, excited to worship Jesus uh, together here in this room or online. Uh, We're grateful to have you gathered with us. And did you know that there were only a few weeks away from Easter? Can you believe it? This year is flying by. It's uh, something else. We're at Easter weekend coming up, April 4th. Mark your calendars. Uh, that weekend's going to be a great weekend at our church. We're going to have our Good Friday service uh, that Friday. Going to be a time to reflect on Jesus, the Man of Sorrows. That will get us in a contemplative mood as we focus on the celebration that's coming that Sunday. As we talk about His resurrection, there's going to be a picnic uh, here on campus, a family picnic on Saturday. You're going to get information about that uh, in your email. If you don't get email from the church, <laughs> how awesome are you? Because you mustn't be able to filter out all your emails. It's incredible. Uh, but if you'd like information from the church, uh, you can sign up for that on our website, sfchurch.com, uh, or you can go out to the uh, Next Steps table on your way out today and just say, hey, I want to make sure I get the email so I know what's going on at the church. Um, you can sign up for the picnic, different things that are happening at our church uh, through that. But we're doing our series today, the I Am series, talking about the seven great I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. we going to be in John chapter 10 again this week, picking up where we left off last week. Let me pray. Father. We come before You. uh, We talk about You in a title that's very unfamiliar to our worlds, uh, very unfamiliar to just the the way that we live in the suburbs and in the city, uh, that You are a good shepherd. And uh, Father, I pray You'd shepherd our hearts uh, through this passage. I pray as we uh, desire to walk with You that You would be uh, what we read about in Psalm 23, that You'd lead us. uh, Sometimes it's to still waters and green pastures. Sometimes it's through the valley of the shadow of death. I know there are people that are going to hear these words today. They're in both of those circumstances, and I pray you would be their their shepherd. I pray if anybody doesn't know you, that today would be a day of salvation. I pray for those who do know you, uh, that we would listen to you, that we would walk closely with you, that we'd follow in your footsteps and follow wherever you're leading in our lives. I pray as uh, even thinking Psalm 23, that you would set a table before us. We'd have fellowship and intimacy, uh, but that our enemies would be at that table, that you'd bring reconciliation where that needs to happen and transformation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was learning about a guy this week. His name is Alexander Wilson. I'm going to guess that most of you here do not know who he is or have not met him. Maybe a few of you uh, have read about him. If you read his tombstone, it says on his tombstone, author and patriot. He wrote 24 different spy novels, all fiction books about the intelligence world, Uh, If you read his resume, he was at one time a hospital porter, uh, college professor, and president. He was a spy. He worked as an officer for MI6, British Intelligence, uh, their foreign agency there. If you asked his wife, Alison, about him, um, she was married to him for over 20 years, and uh, she would tell you while he was alive that he was a loving husband, a very involved father with their two boys, Gordon and Nigel, uh, and he was incredibly intelligent and a great author. And if you asked his other wife, uh, Gladys, about him, uh, Gladys would tell you that he never missed a birthday, always sent a card, even though he was involved in the intelligence agency and traveled and worked away from them quite a bit, uh, was a great husband. If you asked his other wife, Dorothy, about him uh, that he met when he was uh, traveling, uh, posing as a college professor or functioning as one in India, and he met her, she was an actress there, uh, father to their son, Michael, uh, he would, she would also give a report on him. Or his other wife, Elizabeth that he was married to, and he met her, she was a nurse at the hospital where he worked as a porter, said that he was a doctor, uh, maybe part of his trade craft as a spy, being such a good liar. Um, But most of these women didn't know who each other were until after he died. In fact, if you want to learn more about his story, he's got a biography that's written. Uh, His wife, Allison, thinks he's just a liar. Uh, His uh, biographer believes that a lot of this was just learned in part of his cover as a spy. The reality is most people don't know. There's a mini-series about him called Mrs. Wilson on Amazon Prime. For those of you who have Amazon Prime, uh, you can watch. And it, what you'll find is all of the characters. His kids, he's got seven of them. His wives, there were four of them. Never divorced any of them. In case you weren't picking that up as I was sharing that information with you. Um, they didn't really know about each other. In fact, Allison, who he was married to um, and he died in her home, uh, married to for over 20 years, says this about him. I realized there was not a single thing he had ever told me that I could put my finger on and now say, that's true. Just one thing I knew, he had written intelligence stories. This indeed was a supreme irony. The only reality in a mountain of fiction was fiction itself. Everybody in the story as you watch, whether it's his kids, his wives, different co-workers are all asking the same question in Mrs. Wilson, who was he really? Which is interesting because there were people that had encounters with him. There were people that could tell you his birthday, although it changed depending on what he was saying. Could tell you his name. He often changed the middle name is why he wasn't caught for marrying all these uh, women. But they thought that they knew him. Now, my fear is that in the church of Jesus Christ that there are a lot of people who know the name Jesus. know information about Him, but don't really know Him. Maybe it's because they've had encounters with false versions of Him, which we've talked about over the past couple months, the Jesus of suburbia, the Jesus of America, the Santa Claus Jesus, all the different versions of Jesus that we make up on our own, but not the Jesus of the Bible. And so, He says that one day on Judgment Day, there's going to be people that stand before Him and say, didn't we prophesy in Your name, and didn't we cast out demons in Your name? They did a lot of things in His name, so they knew things about Him. They knew His name, and they actually were functioning doing things they thought in His name. And He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's why we're doing this series, talking about who Jesus is, who does He say that He is? And today we're going to look at Him as the Good Shepherd, and the danger is that you could come to church today, and you could watch online today, you could learn facts about shepherding, or sheep, or about Jesus even. But he's not your good shepherd. And so the question I want you to ask yourself as we walk through this passage of scripture in John chapter 10 is what does it mean for Jesus to be my good shepherd? And is he? And so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in John chapter 10. But if you're with us last week, you remember we were talking about the Bible and, and I shared with you that the Bible's an interesting book. There's sixty-six books in the Bible. Uh, the Bible's written over over two thousand year time period by forty different authors, sixty-six different books, three different continents, but it's one story. And it's all about Jesus, amen? And so, you can't just jump into a book that's that big with that many words, about uh, three-quarters of a million words in the Bible, 750,000 words. You can't just jump in the middle and go, what does He want to say to me today? You've got to know the context of this big story over 2,000 years written by 40 different people, one story. How incredible is that? But where are you jumping in at? And so, when you jump into John chapter 10, you've got to go back to at least John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus made one of the other I am statements. He said, I am the light of the world. And then just for short summary, John chapter 8 is all about religious people and Jesus arguing about who He is and where He's from. And then in John chapter 9, He does a miracle. Now, in the first week of this series, I-, I taught you that the miracles point to the message, that signs aren't the destination, signs point you to a destination, that He does a sign. John calls all the miracles in his book signs. The sign is, in John chapter 9, there's a guy who's lived his entire life in darkness, and Jesus brings light into his life. He opens the eyes of a man who was born blind, and then ironically, that man realizes everyone around me is spiritually blind. And so that chapter, they're arguing about what happened in this healing all the way, and at the end of that chapter, the spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees, say, are we blind too? And then Jesus, we started looking at John chapter 10 because John chapter 10 is not a new thing. He's answering the question, are we blind too? He says, you're thieves, you're wolves, you're liars. In other words, let me answer the question. Yes, you're spiritually blind. And He said in that, we were talking last week, I am the door. I'm the only access point to God. And then this week, we're going to look at how he says he's the shepherd. But we're going to go back to some verses we already read, the first five verses, because that's where he starts the shepherding imagery. Look at it with me. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Truly, truly, remember, he's answering the question, are we blind? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own by name. He leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, we talked about last week how many of us have never seen a shepherd before. Uh, most of us, our only access to shepherds is if we read nursery rhyme books, Mary had a little lamb, or there's a, a shepherd in a, a children's Bible story, a smiley guy with a crooked stick, and you're like, that's a shepherd. Uh, but what you need to know is that shepherds were leaders. When you look through the Bible, the shepherding imagery is used over and over again. Shepherds are mentioned over 100 times in the Bible. Sheep are the most common animal over 400 times in the Bible. But when you look at that imagery, it's not just for farmers to be able to have an access point to some biblical truth. When, when Jesus or other people say shepherds, they're talking about leaders. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the good leader. He's rebuking false leaders, and he's calling himself the good leader. In fact, the biblical background for this passage, not just the historical setting, which we've talked about, but the biblical background we didn't talk about last week is Ezekiel chapter 34. And I don't know if you've been reading Ezekiel in your devotions. That's interesting. If so, I'd love to talk with you afterwards and what you're learning. But in Ezekiel chapter 34, we don't have time to go through the whole chapter. Here's what essentially is being said. God's telling Ezekiel the prophet, rebuke all the false prophets today. And here's what they're doing. They're using the sheep for their own personal gain. There's a sign of a false teacher for you. See, true shepherds are there to serve the people, the sheep. False shepherds are using the people. God gets so fed up with this in Ezekiel chapter 34. I'll read you one verse from that chapter. He says this, In verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my people. And I you can't do it. You're messing it all up. I'm going to do it myself. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And so when Jesus declares himself as the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the answer to that. I am God. It's a divine statement. He's he's claiming deity. He's claiming he's divinity when he says, "I am." As we talked about, connecting back to not just Exodus chapter three, but here Ezekiel chapter thirty-four. He's saying, "I'm God, and I'm the one that was promised was going to come. I'm the leader that you've been waiting for." And he's contrasting himself with the false leaders of that day that are also using the people for their own benefit. So, what does this shepherd do? He sees the needs of his people. We see it elsewhere in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus looks out at the crowds, He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. In fact, I put the verse up on the screen. I I skipped a part of it. He says, they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And what He's saying is not just they're leaderless. The leaders are actually… The words for harassed and helpless are a woman who's been ravaged and beaten and left for dead. He's saying they're using them. The people are being used by the leadership, and they're being fleeced to use shepherding language. And Jesus is going, no, I am the good shepherd. How do you know the good shepherd? Well, here, and for those of you who take notes, this is our first point. The good shepherd speaks to his sheep. They recognize his voice. The imagery that he gives here, if you remember last week, I popped up a picture of what a gate would look like and how the shepherd would function as the gate and lay in the door. And so, the imagery here is they're out in a pasture. Uh, imagine there's a thousand sheep that are out in a pasture, and some of them look different. Some of them are spotted sheep. Some of them are brown sheep. Some of them are black sheep. Some of them are white sheep, all kinds of different sheep, a thousand of them. And a shepherd comes along, and a shepherd has 50 of them, 50 out of a thousand. The imagery that Jesus is giving, and if you've got your Bibles, you can look back in John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 is that the shepherd will call out to the sheep, and all thousand sheep aren't going to respond. But those 50, they know His voice. And so, you picture the heads popping up all across the field of those 50 scattered amongst the thousand, and then they come and they follow Him. He leads He doesn't drive them. He leads them as He goes before them. You've got a a good shepherd who's been tempted in every way as you've been tempted, but did not sin. He's not asking you to do anything that He Himself has not done. And so he leads them by his voice. Look at that in verses 3 and 4. That's the imagery that he's giving there. It gives you to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. What do you think he named sheep? (laughs) What do you name sheep? Stanley the sheep. Stanley! Becca! Raphael! Like, no, that's probably aren't the names, okay? I'm not a shepherd, but I'm imagining it's like, hey, Gimpy, get over here. Fluffy, Skippy, Heavyfoot, come on, we got to go. Like you name them by their characteristics. And so he calls them out by name. And then it says, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? Why do the sheep follow him? Get this. For, here's the answer they know his voice. They follow because they know the voice. Listen, God's speaking, he's always been speaking from creation. He spoke. That's how creation happened. Let there be light. He spoke the world into existence. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us he holds the universe together by the power of his word. John chapter 1 starts off. Jesus in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word is God. That's Jesus himself is the word. He's speaking through his son. He's speaking through the scriptures. He's speaking through your circumstances. He's speaking continually. Do you hear him? Do you hear his voice? Here's the problem for many of us. There's a lot of interference between us and him. Do you remember the old commercial uh, by Verizon? Sprint was pretty slick. They hired the guy that was in it. It was a dark-haired guy with glasses, and he'd walk around and go, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? If you remember those commercials, many of us don't remember them for what they were actually trying to show us because it's pretty ironic the way that that phrase actually functions in our lives. The way that that commercial actually happened, you can look them up on YouTube, is the guy would pop out of like a manhole. Can you hear me now? And then he'd be like in the desert. Can you hear me now? And he'd be in Alaska, can you hear me now, in a jungle, can you hear me now? And the idea was that on the other end of the line, a person was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Verizon would talk about how they've got the best network, and you never drop calls, you never have problems. And then Sprint hired them. Have you ever had Sprint? That's ironic. Anyway. But here's the real irony. The irony is, when do you use that phrase? It's not when you have a good connection on your cell phone. Can you? Hey. Can, can you hear me now? Like trying to get the reception, as if somehow there, it's, it's flying over. You just got to catch it somewhere. Can you hear me now? We say it because there's a bad reception. And you think about our hearing from the Lord. There's so many voices in our lives today. There's podcast and news broadcast, advertisements, music, friends psychologists, pop psychologists, everybody's got a a theory about why everybody is, the way that they are, and there's all these voices that are happening. Can you hear them now? Do you hear God speaking? And not only are there lots of voices, we know that those voices don't all have a plan to lead you to Jesus. There's a plan for your life, and you hear all the time, God's got a plan. God loves you. He's got a plan for you. We read last week, John chapter 10, Satan's got a plan for you too. It's threefold, steal, kill, and destroy. And just by evidence of what's happening in our culture, we know that he's winning in a lot of people's lives. The CDC has declared that we're in a mental health crisis. I don't know if you've seen that. I mean, it's the other pandemic and all the other news that's happening. But in 2020, they said that uh, compared to 2019, um, depression was four times higher, about four times higher. Anxiety was more than three times higher. People that were surveyed two times more likely to be seriously considering suicide, and they've declared it a mental health crisis. What voice are we hearing if we're, if we're thinking about taking our own lives? Who wants to steal, kill, and destroy? That's, that's the voice. And the problem is it's crept in even to the church. We talked about this more last week. Remember, even in the church, it's not just all the voices out there, it's not just the things that are happening. It's like even within the church, there's all these movements within the church that are leading people away from Jesus. The political movement. Tell me the church hasn't gotten caught up in the political movement. We're putting our hope in the government rather than our hope in Jesus. We're talking about the prosperity movement that comes to where we don't we're not worshiping Jesus, we're using Jesus to get our idols. Last week, the social justice movement, there's lots of good things with that, right? Lots of good things. But if it focuses on everything that's happening here and misses eternity, you miss Jesus. What we need in the church is a Jesus movement. It moves back to Jesus to hear His voice. He's speaking. He's speaking primarily, we talked about last week, through His Word. If you want to know 100% for sure what God has to say to you, it's right here in this book. He tells us in the book, that's how he's speaking to us. In fact, I jotted down about 18 different ways that I could think of um, that you see in the Bible of God speaking to people. Um, we don't have slides for this. but so those of you who like to take notes, I'm going to talk fast through this because there's so many of them. But the Bible is one of them. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. (laughs) That's interesting. If you want to know 100% for sure what God is saying, then you've got to hear His voice here in His written word. Some of you don't like that. You want that mystic, hear an audible voice, but this is how you test even if that were to happen. Because remember, when Satan comes, he comes as an angel of light. And remember when he tempts Jesus, he actually uses Scripture, but like a false teacher, twists it to his own advantage. And then how does Jesus combat those temptations? Every time it is written with the Word. And so even, even if it was an audible voice, you test it by the truth of what you know to be true here in the Scripture, because Satan's still using the same stuff he used in the garden. Surely God didn't say. And He's trying to lead you away from the truth to get you to deception, because deception leads to destruction, and He gets you in a place of isolation so He can ruin your life, steal, kill, destroy. But God wants to speak to you that you'd have life, and you'd have it abundantly. And the primary way He does it is through the Scriptures. There's other ways. He does it through His Son. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. If you want to know what He's saying through His Son, read Hebrews chapter 1. Because Hebrews chapter one tells us things about his son that we don't even read in these passages we're looking at. There's more to Jesus than we're going to give you in any one sermon. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the purifier. He's your advocate. He says all that stuff in in Hebrews chapter one. So he's speaking through his son. He speaks through other people. Hebrews chapter three. If you want to just do like your own study on God speaking and how to listen, read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews got a theme of that throughout it. Hebrews chapter three and verses twelve and thirteen say this: Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so I just ask you, who in your life is speaking biblical truth into your life through the relationships? And God will do it in lots of different ways. If you have people around you that are in the truth. I remember uh, just thinking about it this week, and... uh, one time I remember driving in the car with my kids. Uh, my oldest daughter was in her car seat. I don't remember exactly how old she was. And we went to South Point Mall. I don't know if you've been to that mall or not, but you pull off a 540. There, almost every time there's somebody there that's asking for some kind of handout. Food, money, different things. They got different signs. I wasn't in a particularly generous mood at this moment, and so this is not me telling you this is how you should respond as your pastor, but just being honest with you about how I responded. Pull up. There's a guy standing out there. My daughter from the back seat says... Daddy, what is that man doing?" And I said, that man doesn't want to work, and so he wants all the people that are in these cars that do work to give them the money they work for because he's not willing to work. That was my honest answer in that moment. Total silence after that. We drive. Two or three minutes later, I'm pulling into a parking spot. No one said anything in the car, which is like a miracle in and of itself. (laughs) We park. Same daughter says, Dad what's mercy? To which my wife erupts in laughter at that moment, right? From the mouths of babes, God can speak, and He chooses to speak through people, through other people. And it might be your pastor. It might be your small group leader. It might be somebody in your small group. It might be somebody in your family, but you've got to have relationships with people that are going to tell you truth, even when your life doesn't line up with that truth. And so he uses other people. Who are your other people? You've got to ask yourself that question. There's a lot of other things, and I'm going to go quickly through this because we've got a lot to say in John 10 still. Uh, the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26. Creation, the heavens declare the glories of God. Teachers, evangelists, prophets, Romans 10, 17. Prayer, signs in this passage. Fleeces, uh, Gideon, uh, bright light, Acts chapter 9, Paul, burning bush, still small voice, a transformed mind, Romans 12, 1. Heart impressions. Remember when, when Peter is asked the question that we were talking about through this whole series, who do people say that I am? He answers. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus tells him, that was revealed to you by the Father. Why does Jesus tell him that? Because it wasn't an audible voice. It was an impression on the heart. He's new from his time with Jesus. You, you're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one that all the Scriptures promised. You're the, you're the one. And he wouldn't have known that unless he heard the voice. God speaking to His sheep. It's His sheep that He calls by name that that hear the voice. We talk about people being spiritually blind. They're also deaf. But He calls His, and they hear Him, and that's what Peter was doing in that passage, impressions in the heart, angels, dreams, visions, an audible voice. Uh, Christians always say, God spoke to me, but not through an audible voice. Why not? We're in the Bible to say that He couldn't. It's not like it was normal in the Bible, by the way, either. So, if you've got like a 4,000-year time period and it happens a few times, it's not like it's like regular. It's just, it could happen. Circumstances, we get in trouble there. You know, people don't know how to interpret the circumstances. That's why you need the Scriptures. You know, you need some money and the light turns green and you're parked next to a bb doesn't mean God's telling you to rob a bank. You've got to test it by the Scriptures. A donkey, Numbers 22. All right, when, by the time you get to evaluating… How does God speak? And you get to a donkey. Here's the answer. God speaks however he wants, whenever he wants. That's the answer. The question is, are we listening? Do you hear him? Do you recognize his voice? And here's how you know the answer to that question. Go back to the verse. The scriptures are what give us the answers. It says in verse four, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. There's the answer. He speaks, it's our job to listen. And we know if we're listening by whether we're following, for they know His voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So if we want to know if we're listening, the question is, are we following? Those of you like little statements, maybe you want to tweet something out or write something, here's a statement for you. Obedience is the evidence of intimacy. Do you want to know whether or not you're listening to Jesus? Are you following in His footsteps? Because obedience is the evidence of intimacy. Do you want to know whether or not you hear His voice and you recognize it's not a subjective, like what's the tone? What's the pitch? What's His cadence? No. Obedience is the evidence of intimacy. What do you, am I doing what He says? That's how you know whether you're listening. It says they hear His voice and they follow Him. But you don't just follow because you recognize the voice. You follow because you trust the one who's speaking. And you can do that because, second point, The good shepherd cares for his sheep. The good shepherd not only speaks to his sheep, here's how he contrasts himself with the false shepherds. The false shepherds use the sheep. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. And he tells us how in verses 11 through 16. He declares himself the good shepherd in verse 11 and in verse 14, but look at those verses with me. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's a hired hand, so here's the contrast to these false shepherds, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Wait a minute. So we can know Jesus and the Father the way that they know each other? Talk about an invitation to intimacy. And I have other sheep, they are not of this fold, verse 16. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So it will be one flock, one shepherd. And here, Jesus, what he's showing us is this, and some of you have said this statement before talk is cheap. He can say to you, oh, I love you, I just love you so much. That's not what he does. He says, You want to know how I care about you? Look at how I act with you. I'm, when, when the wolf comes, and he gives this illustration when the wolf comes, the hired hand is out. And so, and we can bash the hired hand there in that situation, but actually, biblically, if a wolf comes, a hired hand's not responsible to stay. Exodus chapter 22, verse 13, you can look that up. If a wolf comes, the hired hand going to be like, peace, I'm out. I'm not going to be responsible. All I need to do is pick up some blood or some skin or something to show this thing didn't just get stolen. Because if it got stolen, they were responsible. If a thief comes, the hired hand's supposed to stay and protect. But if a wolf or a lion or a bear or some kind of animal came in the middle of the night, I'm out of here. And Jesus is going, let me show you how I'm different. Because my own, look at the passage. I'm giving you words from the passage right now. Is from my, my own. I know them. They know me just as the Father and the Son know each other. And, and I know them. And so I lay my life down for them. Because it's different when it's your own. You see that with David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. When he's about to fight the giant Goliath, he has to have an interview with the king, Saul. And remember when he's trying to give his resume, he says, he's just a shepherd. He says, when a lion or a bear came... And took one of my sheep, I chased him down. What? What? Because if I was a shepherd, I'm gonna just be candid with you. If a lion came and took one of my sheep, I'd be like, we can get some more sheep. But he says, I chased him down, I grabbed it by the beard, I killed the lion. And whenever I read that, I'm like, David was a bad dude. But do you know why he did it? They were his sheep. He wasn't just hired out there. This is, a, this is a family's livelihood. Everybody's depending upon me to keep care, take care of these sheep. And so he chased down these sheep because they were his own sheep. God cares for you. Can you really say, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd? Not a shepherd, not a leader. He is my leader. I shall lack nothing. It's an accurate translation of I shall not want. I don't lack nothing. But if you, if you read Psalm 23… You follow the shepherd, you realize that doesn't mean there's no danger. See, a lot of people don't actually follow Jesus because of the risk. They're afraid of what they're going to lose. Have you ever read Psalm 23 and thought to yourself, why in the world is a sheep in the middle of the shadow of the valley of death? Do you know why? Because it's following the shepherd, shepherds who led him there. But he says, I will fear no evil. Not because there is no evil, because you are with me. See, trusts his protection. That's so what Jesus is saying here. I, I, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. It doesn't mean there's not going to be danger. It doesn't mean this isn't risky. You might get your head cut off following me, but I'll be with you. He not only is protecting, but it's provision It says in this passage, and we just read eight verses, verses 11 through 16, five times Jesus says that he lays his life down. Five times. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep, but none of the soul. I must bring them in also. How does he do that? Because he laid his life down. The hired hand flees, but he lays his life down repeatedly. He's talking about giving his life. And here is one of the great pictures of who Jesus really is in the Scriptures. Because remember when Jesus came on the scene, his cousin John the Baptist was preaching about him, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he's showing us how he's like a shepherd, unlike any other shepherd, any shepherd, because he's not only… The shepherd. He's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. That He lays his life down for you. Talk about provision. He provided everything you needed so you could have salvation. Listen to this. If he can provide for your salvation, you don't think he's going to provide for your sanctification? Let me say that in a less theological way. If he's going to provide so you can be reconciled to God for eternity, you don't think he's going to provide for you on the daily? And so, here's the problem most of us actually have… Because we don't think He provides for us because He's not giving us some of the stuff that we want and think that we need. And you read Psalm 23, it says, I shall not want. If He's my shepherd, well, how come I don't have this, the boyfriend that I want, or the girlfriend that I want, or the promotion that I want, or the material stuff that I want? And we misunderstand the passage. A better translation of I shall not want is actually you will lack nothing. And what is He talking about there is you'll lack nothing that you need to follow Him. And actually what happens is many times we're actually mad at God because He doesn't give us what we want, but if He gave us what we want, it would lead us away from Him. I don't know a ton about shepherding, uh, but I've listened to other pastors preach about it, read different books about it. One thing that I've read and heard, uh, I'm not, I've never shepherded, so I don't know this, is that a good shepherd, if they have sheep that wander off all the time, will actually break the legs of the sheep, which sounds cruel. But then when you learn the rest of it is that He'll carry that shepherd or that sheep with Him to water, to food, everywhere it needs to go until its legs are healed. And then when its legs are healed, it never leaves the side of the shepherd. God will give you everything you need to follow Him. He may not give you everything that you hope for because sometimes what you're hoping for is actually an idol. You're mad at God because He's not giving you your idols? Really? What kind of God do you think He is? He will provide for you. He gave his life for you, and he pursues you. Did you see verse 16? Verse 16 is my favorite verse in John chapter 10. I know verse 10 is the popular one. He came to give a life and give it abundantly, but verse 16 is my favorite. It talks about how Jesus pursues us. And remember who he's talking to, all Jewish audience. They've just said in John chapter 8, we know that we're right with God because our father is Abraham. It's an ethnic thing for them. They're racist. And Jesus says, I have other sheep. They're not of this fold. He's talking about you and me. I'm assuming most of you here are not Jewish. Maybe a few of you are. I know that. But did you know you're in the Bible? Like, here it is. Sheep, they're not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And if you read the book of Revelation, there's people from every tribe and every nation, every tongue, every ethnicity. They're praising Jesus because they've heard and responded to His voice in salvation. They followed Him. Why? Because He pursued us. He came after us, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I came to seek and save the lost. Matthew, he says it, he talks about pursuing us, tells us that we're supposed to go pursue others in the Great Commission. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's what a good shepherd does. Give my life as a ransom for many. Think about this pursuing and serving and going after language. Where else do we hear that? I don't know if you watch the news or not. Not the political agenda stations. So that's not what I'm talking about. But this is like real news that's happening. It doesn't have anything to do with America. Did you know that? It's crazy. We're so focused on us. Anyway, um, sometimes there are stories. One of the stories that I, I like to look at uh, periodically, and they happen all, all the time, actually, uh, are rescue stories. Our Navy SEALs are famous for them. And so some of you may be seen the movie uh, Captain Phillips starring Tom Hanks. I was based on a true story of a real guy, uh, Richard Phillips, captain, sea captain, who was uh, hijacked by Somalian pirates and kept on his boat and, and rescued by Navy SEALs. Uh, there was one that happened in October, probably most of us missed. Uh, you can look it up. The guy's name was Philip Walton that was rescued uh, by Navy SEALs. There was one that I was looking at this week. Some of you may have heard it was famous when it happened, uh, a woman named Jessica Buchanan. She's a teacher from Ohio. She was working as an aid worker in Africa, and she said, I got in the… The vehicle, Land Rover, they were riding in that day and sat next to the security guard. She didn't realize that security guard was going to sell her uh, to Somalian, uh, not pirates, but um, kidnappers for $100,000. And they, their car got stopped. She tells the story of how she was kidnapped, taken out into the desert in constant fear, constant change. Uh, got very sick. Uh, got a UTI, went into her kidneys, started to hallucinate, went to the doctors, or went to them and said, we need, I need to see a doctor. This was day 93. She's done proof of life videos telling the American government that please give the ransom. Ransom on her head was $45 million. She said that night when she went to sleep, you always go into this restless sleep, she pulled her mat out into the middle of the field like she would oftentimes do, constantly afraid of how she might be hurt by these different people or that other people would come. Um, The night erupted in gunfire. She thought she was being kidnapped by another group. She said, I got small, rolled myself up in a ball. And then some arms grabbed a hold of my um, shoulders, and uh, another guy grabbed a hold of my legs, and I heard a voice that said, Jessica, Jessica, we're the U.S. military. You are safe. They're the Navy SEALs. And then said to her, we've been watching you for 93 days. We know how sick you are. And handed her some medication and some water, and then carried her to the extract point, and then covered her with their own bodies while they waited for the flight, the helicopter to come in and take them out of there. Did you hear what happened? They called her by name. They knew her needs. If you watch her TED Talk that she gives on being uh, rescued, she talks about how she sat there and realized that the President of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, had given the command of the most elite fighting force in the world to come and rescue a teacher from Ohio. And I think, here we are, we're reading this. This is the God of the universe. The president's got nothing on him. And he sent, you talk about sending the best, his own son for you. And then, and then what is our, our job? It's to be like Jessica Buchanan, who to my knowledge is not a follower of Jesus, but is going around telling her story of how she was rescued, called out by name, by people that were willing to lay their life down for her. And that's our job is to go and then pursue other people telling the story of how we were lost, we were helpless, but then not the most powerful man in the world, the Creator of the world sent His Son Jesus to die for us, and as we tell the story, some other sheep will recognize that voice and come to Him. And that's our job. We're we're God's fighting force. We're actually called soldiers in the Scriptures. And we're supposed to then go out on a rescue mission doing whatever it takes, risking our own lives if necessary so that other people can be brought into the fold because here's something that some of you aren't going to believe when I say it, but I dare you to go find these people. There are people in Raleigh, Durham that have never heard of Jesus. They're not all refugees. Some of them have been born and raised in Raleigh. No. All right, I bet you Here's how you find out. Ask them. Do you know who Jesus is? And then you tell them your story of how you were rescued. He's pursuing you. It's a pursuing mission, and that's the mission that He then gives us. But but here's the last observation. He does it with an authority unlike we've ever seen before. See, the good shepherd, if He's your good shepherd, has authority over your life. Uh, Verses 17 and 18, we haven't read yet. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Get this. No one takes it from me. Do you know the gospel story? when he's handed over by the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law, and and then he's murdered on a cross, it sure looks like from a, a human perspective that someone takes his life. But look what he says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He's saying, no one took my life. I gave it up. Do you remember when when Jesus is being arrested in the garden and Judas betrays Him? the, The soldiers come. There's a band of soldiers that Judas has got to come with Him, and they come, and then Jesus takes the initiative, by the way, and says, I am He, and they fall down to the ground. He's showing who has authority there. When Peter pulls out his sword, he's like, you don't need to do that. I got this. When Pilate's questioning Him, and he won't answer Pilate's questions, Jesus says, You don't have authority over me. The only authority you have has been given to you from above. He's got authority the whole time. No one takes his life. He's willingly laying his life down for you and for me. But that's not the crux of the whole deal. Did you see what he says here? A Navy SEAL can lay their life down, you can lay your life down. Here's what you can't do I take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Okay, you could lay your life down. Do you have authority to lay your life down? And I have authority to take it up again. That's Easter, by the way. That's the resurrection. Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He rose from the dead, defeated your sins, and now can offer you the abundant life that he talks about. Amen? I have authority to take it up again. But this causes argument about who Jesus is. Look at verses 19 through 21. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. And then they don't say what he said. They go to his works. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It's never happened before. So is he a demon or is he divine? There's not really room for the other stuff that we say. It's just the American versions of Jesus. that we, He's a teacher. He's an example. He's a religious figure. Like, the Bible doesn't leave room for that. Is He demonic or divine? The way we answer the question is how we live our lives. Is He your good shepherd? Oh, there's so much mystery about Jesus here amongst these people because some of them are deaf and blind. They can't see. They can't hear. They don't know. But He's called out to others, and they've heard the voice. He's not like Alexander Wilson, where He's deceived a bunch of people, and that's why no one knows who He is, is that people can't come to grips with who He truly is. So who is He to you? Is He your good shepherd? If He's your good shepherd, here's how you know. You hear His voice. You obey His Word. You submit to His authority. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning thankful that You've given us such an incredible Savior your own Son, Jesus Christ. I pray right now, if there's anybody that are hearing these words, whether they're online or in this room, that don't know your Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior, that today in this moment they would trust your Son, Jesus Christ. They would believe that He not only died for their sins, but He rose from the dead. They would believe that He is worthy to have authority over their lives, and they would surrender the authority they have of their lives to your Son, Jesus Christ right now in this moment if that's you and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ just cry out to Him in your own words acknowledge your sin before Him you know you're a sinner, He knows you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and ask Him to be that Savior and give your life to Him if you're doing that right now and you're talking to Him in your words when you're done praying would you you just text the word Jesus to the number that will be on the screen online and in this room And Father, I pray for those that are already followers of yours. But there's a lot of interference in hearing your voice. We've been listening to other voices or or we've been going our own way and maybe we've just been running after sin. Some of us, I pray that'd be a time of repentance for those that are doing that. And Father, I pray for those that are here that have just gotten busy and, and other things and have drawn it out that they would stop and listen to you and that you would speak. You'd remind us of your truth. You'd bring new truth into our lives. You'd renew our minds. You'd speak to our hearts like you did with Peter. You'd speak through other people in our lives. You'd speak through your word. You'd speak through just even reflecting on who your son is, that you'd speak to us in this moment, reminding us how loved we are, that you'd love us so much, that you'd pursue us, you'd protect us, you'd provide for us, you'd speak to us, and we submit to your authority. And we say to you as your followers, wherever he wants to go, whatever he wants to do, we'll do it you have our life we give you our idols we give you control we give you our stuff our money our our thoughts our relationships our kids all of that stuff it's yours will you do with it what you want will you bring yourself glory through it please it's in jesus name i pray amen